Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Startup Sales. Really excited uh, to, to jump into today's call. We have uh, Dan Martell with us. And for those of you who don't know Dan Martell, uh, he's kind of a famous in this B2B SaaS world, but he's a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he's an investor uh, in companies like Hootsuite and Intercom, and he's helped who knows how many uh, B2B startups uh, with their sales. So really excited to have uh, Dan with us today, and let's get to today's episode. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Dan, I can't help but to laugh. I, I see you dancing in the background. <laughs> Dude, what a what an intro! What a gets the blood flowing. I love it. The energy, the music, the production quality, next level. This is fun. Ah, thank you, thank you. So, Dan, thanks for joining us. Uh, can you give people a little bit of background about you that uh, Matt maybe they don't know? Yeah, I'll I'll give you kind of the sales focused stuff. Um, what's funny is I started off as an introverted software developer, so. Um, Short story long, I'll try to do the short version. I, um, as a teenager, got in a lot of trouble. And when I mean a lot, like, if, you, if you've heard my story, Adam, you know, jailed twice by the time I was 16, uh, high-speed chase, almost took my life, uh, pointing a handgun at the police. And um, luckily, I had some incredible people show up in my life uh, that guided me to a totally different future than I live in today. And uh, part of that was ending up in rehab for 11 months, discovering this yellow book on Java programming. So I, I started off software development and, you know, 17 kind of changed my life, learned how to write code, started a company, failed, did it again at 19, hosting company, failed. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm just like I started young and it wasn't until I was 23 that I actually read a business book. I read a bunch of software books, literally everything from design and database and architecture, et cetera. And um, the first book I ever read was called the Love is a Killer App by a guy named Tim Sanders. And in there, he's, he's the one that introduced me to the idea of, of learning and growth and personal development. I always said like, you know, my new addiction became software development and entrepreneurship and then and business became the ultimate personal development program. And it was that book that introduced me to the Zig Ziglar's, the Jeffrey Gittimer's, the I mean, the the top sales leaders back then. You know, this is back on the tapes and CDs. <laughs> um, but I, I just had to learn how to communicate. So since then, I've 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 started Myself, so two failed companies, now three successful scale exits, two venture backed. Uh, I've sold over now $40 million worth of product or services in my career. Uh, Fortune 500 companies, mid-market stuff, SMB, SaaS, built sales teams, helped my clients build 100-person sales teams uh, as an executive coach, really growth coach focused on that level. And then I also have the largest YouTube channel uh, for B2B SaaS. Uh, in the world, uh, which is a five-year labor of love of teaching everything I've ever learned. And I continue to do that every week. I haven't missed a week in 
almost five years to the day. And um, I'm just excited to be here, Adam. I'm, I'm committed to giving you 110%. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to it. And that story is amazing. And, and I wish we had more time because I, I'd like to understand one time or another why that yellow book was so interesting for you. Like out of anything, why a JavaScript book? <laughs> well, it was, I'm going to give you a short version. It was just, it was sitting there with the computer at this rehab uh, facility. I was helping Rick, the maintenance guy, clean out a cabinet in an old church camp. And it was, it, it, I guess like, there's just something about programming that I thought was complicated. Like if you're programming, computer programming, you think like hexadecimal numbers and like, it's almost like hieroglyphics. Like it's, it shouldn't read like English. And when I opened it, it was, it was literally, it's almost written in English. If this, then that, you know, select case. And I was like, I just followed chapter one. And I got the computer to say, hello world. And I think I had a false sense of confidence because I thought maybe <laughs> I was like a secret genius programming kid. Uh, turned out that was really far from the truth. But uh, regardless, I believed it at the time. And I just, I, I just went all in. My dad said, uh, my dad for years said, if I could just find something I was passionate about that wasn't illegal, he thought I'd be pretty good in life. And uh, when I told him I was either going to go to school for botany, because I had a fascination with plants for obvious reasons, maybe not so obvious, but you guys can figure it out, or programming, um, he said, you can always have a garden as a hobby. You need to go down the internet thing. And uh, my life has never, it, it looks completely different today than it did back then. I'm sure. So with so many companies, uh, as a founder, before we get into the companies you've helped and everything, as a founder, what did you learn about sales in the early days? I, th I mean, just so much. I've realized that your enthusiasm for the product isn't interesting or important to the buyer. Um, I think back in the day, you know, I was all about the algorithms and the data structure and like all these technical things that I found fascinating. But at the end of the day, people don't buy software, they buy outcomes. And that took me a while to learn. So really understanding what selling meant. Um, you know, somebody that is technical in nature and, and builds all this stuff. I, I, I was plagued with doing what's called a product tour. I think a lot of software salespeople, especially through the founder led sales, they have a bad habit of like wanting to show the whole breadth of the product. And um, I was guilty of that 100% in the early days. Um, the other thing is I didn't document anything. So everything that I sold was very much sold on the passion I had for the product. And it was, it was not, it didn't feel repeatable in any shape, fashion or form. And um, so there's just so much. I mean, I, the, the way I approach building sales organizations or even just hiring a first salesperson um, is laughable compared to the way I did it for a decade, probably, <laughs> until I realized like, hey, you know, if you have a product that can really add value to a customer market, you, it's your responsibility to get yourself out of the way as fast as possible. And um, those are some hard lessons to learn. Like you said, like you get so excited about just your product and everything that it, it means. And like, cause you put your heart and soul into it and it's, and it's your baby as a founder, but how do you, how do you make that switch and how do you know what's important? And cause everything's important. Like every feature you put in there, there's a reason you put it. So what, what do you, how do you focus? Yeah. I mean, I've got a whole framework called the uh, rocket demo builder that I teach people how to do product demos. Again, I, I coach exclusively B2B SaaS founders. Uh, and then 
you know, their leadership team as a proxy of working with the founder and, you know, asking customers up front in, in the kind of the opening aspect of a demo call, you know, understanding their reality and figuring out what drove them to even request the conversation or what got them to respond to an email uh, outreach, et cetera. Just trying to figure out what's the most important problems to solve and then using that feedback in the conversation to guide the demo. And I always think about like, what are the three things that, you know, based on like, these are my th our three priorities in the next quarter, the next whatever. Um, here's how I'm going to unfold the product demo. I'm going to start with this. I always like to end on the biggest wow factor I can. I call drop, dropping the mic moment um, because, you know, humans have a bias for recency and uh, primacy. So primacy is first, the first thing, and recency is the last thing, right? So it's interesting. There's a psychology around, like, if you go on a vacation and the first day is, like, super sunny, hot, amazing, it rains for five days, and then the last day is super hot, honey, or <laughs> sunny, um, that you will actually feel like that was a great vacation, whereas it was the opposite. You would actually, because it's just the way our brains work. It's what's called the rule of three, because there's the beginning, the middle, and the end. The, that's just the way our minds work. So using that psychology to, to end the demo with the aha moment, I think is, is part of that. But I mean, here's, here's the two biggest things that I, that I try to teach that I think is sometimes lost is nobody buys, and I like to call them buyers, not prospects. Nobody becomes a buyer unless you can peg the critical event that is happening in their world that makes it a now thing. So if there's, and sometimes you hear this in the bank language, you know, budget uh, authority needs and timing. But I mean, to me, it's just critical event. If you can't figure out what's going on that makes this a now thing, uh, then it's really tough. You'll have a lot of people that'll take the call, they'll ask for the proposal, and then they'll just ghost you or not follow up because there was no, there was no need, right? So that's one. And then the other thing that I think is required is emotional impact, right? What is the impact of that change to the person? Because like I said, people don't buy software. I think SaaS should be called software as a, or success as a service. People don't buy the tool. They want the outcome. And if you can't connect the changes, the product's going to uh, have like what impact and connect that emotionally. So like more time, more freedom, potentially looking good to their boss, getting a promotion, um, you know, reducing the amount of customer complaints because there's less data entry or whatever issues you solve with your product. If you can't connect that to like an emotional level, it's not going to happen. And that's to me, that's stretching the gap. It's figuring out like their old world is here. This new world is what they're after. And the more you can kind of connect them with that pain of today and the possibility of tomorrow, that's where the sale is made. Absolutely. I, I want to emphasize something that you, you mentioned, but you kept moving on. And I think it's so powerful. And I want to bring it up. You talked about first asking them questions and first talking to them and, and hey, why did you accept this connect, this demo today? And, and diving into there, I think that's so important and so forgotten by so many people. Yeah, I mean, so to me, there's, there's two powerful questions anybody can ask in a sales conversation. It's why now? What makes this a now thing? And why me or us? Like, and here's why they're powerful. The why now? allows them to sell you on why it's an outfit, right? 
So like me saying to Adam, you know, like, hey, Adam, I'm just curious, what makes this a now interview for you? And, and saying nothing and being okay with the silence. Those people, professional salespeople, the sales made in the space, it's made in the silence. When we track, we use um, uh, refract.ai similar to Gong or um, um, course.ai for, for sales. And the sales team, like it's literally ideally 60, 70% client talking, 30% rep, right? Because it's really about them asking a question and, and creating the space because nobody wants it to be awkward and they'll fill it. So if I ask somebody and say, what makes this an now thing? for yes to reach out to talk about our software and say nothing and wait because they will fill the space. And then they go, well, you know, this happened and this happened. Oh, tell me more about that. How did that impact the business? Right. What happens if it happens again? How frequently does it happen? Et cetera, et cetera. And that's, and that's like the now thing. And then the other, my favorite question is, is why us, you know, why me? And I'm just curious. And then maybe you don't have a lot of context for our product, but you know, what, what, what did you see or read to uh, make you feel like we might be able to solve that problem. And then what happens is they sell you, they sell themselves on you. Yeah. Well, I talked to my buddy, John, he uses your product. He said good things. I went on G2 crowd. I saw that you guys are listed in the top three vendors, et cetera. And then what happens is I'm writing all this down. And then later on, <laughs> I'm using this, I'm echoing it back, right? I'm just saying, Hey, you know, earlier you mentioned that your your colleague John uses us and, you know, we're ranked top three in G2 crowd. You know, what's it going to take for us to move forward today? You know, and that, and that, that again, is, there's a lot of nuance in that, but that's, you know, I, I love teaching sales. Even though I'm, I'm probably best known as a marketer, I think that um, conversation and persuasion is such a powerful skill that transformed my life. I mean, literally... Everything that I've achieved from, you know, becoming a multimillionaire at 27 to, you know, um, investing in 40 tech companies, now 50, actually, I keep saying 40, but it's more like 50, um, <laughs> and building, building a life with my family that, that I can't, I wouldn't even have been able to dream back then that it could look like this because I didn't understand the possibilities. All of those things that I'm incredibly grateful for only happen on the base of my ability to communicate and persuade investors to invest in my companies, uh, you know, acquisitions, people selling me their companies, um, getting, you know, selling myself into an investment round, like just all of those things, these principles we talk about, Adam, they're universal. And I just, I, I, I wish, I wish I could, I could teach every person, that because to me, selling is not trying to convince somebody to buy something that they don't want. It's commu it's it's transferring enthusiasm for their possibility. And I just think that's fun, right? Like I get genuinely excited for the buyer because I know how dramatic their life is going to look different once we move forward. And my job is to just figure out a if it's a fit, and if it is, how do I help them get out of their own way to make the decision <laughs> to move things forward? Because that's really that's all that needs to happen. Daniel Pink's book, uh, Everybody Sells, really explains that well. What you're saying is you, you need to sell. And selling is not sales. sales is, selling is not the old used car salesman. Selling is helping and building a relationship and, and a partnership. And, and that yeah, communication I think, I think, aspect uh, is huge. Yeah. And there's like the misunderstandings for me is like, one, 
you should have people saying no. I'm a big fan of like if you're losing, you know, 25, 30% of your deals, you're not you're not you're not charging enough for the value you're creating. So that's one. I think that's a big misunderstanding. People, I have clients that are like, yeah, we're winning. Our win rates are 90%. I'm like, that's bad. Why is that bad? Yeah, well, because if you look at just yield pricing, you should have less people saying yes, yeah, so that you put the price up by 40, 50%. And overall, you'll yield a higher amount because it's value creation. You're capturing the value that you created. And then the other thing is um, my sales rep, if they're not saying no, to 5%, 3 to 5% of opportunities saying, hey, I really don't think that we can help you based on what you shared with me. I get really suspect and start auditing calls because a lot, especially with the feedback from our customer success team, that to me, you shouldn't be trying to sell everybody that gets on a call that has a heartbeat. It's not the right way to do it. And like you said, it's a partnership. So as long as they understand that that account that you enrolled in the product is responsible for them in many ways, and I'm a big fan of attaching the uh, customer health score. So, you know, you can call it whatever, some data point that shows activation engagement to the sales reps commission so that if something happens post-sale and they might've oversold the opportunity, that that gets a clawback on the sales reps compensation because it's just the right way to do it. Learn to say no, be comfortable with saying no. Turning away businesses is, is, is better in the long run. Uh, it's And it's the right thing to do. Uh, you you brought up Bant probably five minutes ago, <laughs> and I wanted to talk about that because actually I've been speaking, uh, partaking this week in a, in a like a kind of a camp or boot camp type thing with like uh, twenty different companies, and a lot of people are referring to to Bant, and I personally hate Bant and I think it's bullshit. Take it because I don't like it either. I wasn't yeah. sure where you were going with this. <laughs> so, okay. And what, what don't you like about it? I just think the, the world of buying, especially in BB software, it's totally changed. I mean, people are coming onto the call with more information than your sales reps have. Like period, full stop. Like literally the amount of uh, bottom of funnel research that's occurring. I mean, even just trialing the software, right? So they're like, they might actually have used it in another company or have already gone through the trial. I've already done all this research and used like the G2 crowds and the Captera, gone through your case studies, et cetera. So when they're getting on the call, like it, it's almost like it's, if I was a buyer and somebody started doing bank against me, A, I would smell it right off the bat. So I call that commission breath. As soon as I feel like people are following a process to try to sell me shit, commission breath. Um, I love doing sales calls, by the way. I love, I love seeing how well-trained they are. I love trying to veer left, right? I'll do, I'll do stuff like, uh, just tell me what it costs. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> my favorite thing right out the bat, just like, yeah, hey, no, uh, today I wanted to, Hey man, I just want to know what it costs, you know, and just to see how well they react to that. Cause that's like, you know, one-on-one kind of sales. But, um, yeah, I just feel like, but that is not, it's not appropriate in today's world. I really think, you know, under like they're gonna, most software is bought in a land and expand model. Like, so yeah. it, it's, do they, like they have the authority, like they wouldn't, you know, like you should be qualifying them even before you get on the call. Like you can do discovery calls, but most form submissions for um, requesting a demo should ask the appropriate questions, to even make sure that the demo is required. If it's not, kick them over to a self-serve, you know, a demo on demand 
or um, let them into the product. But I mean, if you're getting on a product demo, Bant to me doesn't make sense for the way buyers buy today in, in 2020. Yeah, most companies don't have a set budget. Uh, you know, most, most, as you said, most people don't have, like everybody has the authority. I mean, unless you're talking to like interns or, or specific countries, uh, they're not going to be wanting to waste their time. They have a job to do and they want to keep that job. Nobody goes and has I mean, fun. Most companies, I think like, I know you about it, but I got like 250 different SaaS products that I pay for on a monthly basis. I didn't buy 80% of them. My team did. And I don't, like there's no budget. It's a, if you need a tool, just tell me about it and tell me what you want to spend. I say yes. And like, they're, you know, sometimes they ask me after the fact, you know, cause it's a hundred bucks a month. It's like, you know, the, the days of buying, like I get it back in the day when the investment was six figures or seven figures and it was a multi-month deployment. And like I sold enterprise software, portal software, SAP, Oracle. I get it. Yeah. That's not what we're doing today. We're literally selling five licenses maybe getting into a department and then expanding from there. And at some point, somebody in IT is going to go like, hey, what's going on with all these different teams using Slack? Maybe we should reach out and create an enterprise you know, agreement so that we can get some of the you know, security features and the backup and compliance stuff. And that's, that's how 80% of software, I think, or 70% of software is being sold today. And, um, and Bant just doesn't make sense for that landscape. I also feel it doesn't make sense for the, cause you said most, most are like five license deals, uh, which is true. But mm -hmm. I also feel for the six, seven figure deals also Bant doesn't, isn't required. I I've sold, I've sold countless, you know, five, uh, six, seven figure deals to government agencies, to fortune 100s. And you don't go through that kind of qualification. You go through the, the, just the N of the, of the band. Is there a need? And that's really the most important thing. Yeah. That's the, from the why now and why me, like if it's yeah. not a now thing and if there's not an understanding of what makes our product the right fit, then it's like, okay, either I got to figure that out with you to assess it. And if it's not a fit, I love saying, Hey, I'm going to figure out if I can be helpful or not. If I can't, I'm going to tell you as fast as possible. Right. Cause I, I call that selling from the heels versus the toes. I think a lot of sales reps, junior people that are new, they're, they're very, they're like this, right? And it's yeah. like, look, take a step back, make it a discovery call, like treat it like you're an investigator. You know, I call it the doctor frame, right? Like our job is to be experts at our tool and context of their situation, because as a doctor would, they're doctors for the thing that they know how to do. And they're trying to ask questions to figure out like, how did you end up with this problem? Because I'm gonna prescribe potentially our solution or not, but my job is to figure out what that solution is and guide you on that path, right? So it's very much a solution sale now. And I think like, that's the coolest part about it. I've actually um, argued with Yako at um, Winning by Design that in the future for certain product types and sales motions, sales commissions might go out the window because they're really like no Dropbox, I don't believe they do sales commissions for their SMB product line for their account execs because it's really like order taking, right? They're not, yeah. there's no complicated sales process. It's a 30 minute call and we set you up and hand it over to CS or get the product to take care of it. Like there's no, it's, it, you're answering questions for the buyer and 
there's no selling per se. It's more of a consultative situation, which I think the best salespeople, that's what they do. They come in with authority. They come on with that frame. They try to figure out if there's a fit. And if there is, they can present the, the software in a way that makes it incredibly compelling and desirable. And systematically, this is the ninja stuff, right? Adam, it's like really, see the questions up front really gives you the objections that you know are going to come up. And the best salespeople systematically overcome the objections in the middle part of the call through the demo, um, through mentioning what I call mini case studies uh, to just get them to the point that when they finally ask for the order, it's very, all right, next steps. I just need a credit card to activate your account. Here's what's going to happen next. What card do you want me to put that on? Yeah. Yeah. It's you're no longer a salesperson when there's no commission in it. You, it's a psychological thing. You, you just, you feel like, Hey, I'm just here to help you. I'm doing my job. How can I help you? I mean, the, you obviously have to be good at it and, and want to excel, but you don't have that stress of like, okay, I'm being graded on this right now. Yeah. And I always, so I was talking to one of my clients this morning because um, they were having a hard time with a salesperson. And I said, well, the other issue you have is you don't have enough pipeline. And I've discovered confidence comes from pipeline. If you yeah. know, you know, you can hang up this call and you're on another call and you've got six of those in a day, you don't stress or bring that energy to the conversation and it turns out that's a good thing for increasing your win rates absolutely it's like you said before you you want to take a step back and you it's and you want the buyer to take a step forward towards you so yeah. that then they're the ones that are chasing you and wanting to buy and they're like you also like you said earlier like they have to convince you that they're the right person that they and to be educated I mean, and, and, and like the best scenario I think is after a call that, that was a demo or a sales rep with an accounting exec that you feel more educated or more prepared or more informed. I think that's like the ultimate, right? Where it wasn't just one-sided. It was, I understand this problem better, right? And that felt good. And I understand some best practices now and some things that I didn't even consider that I should be thinking about in regards to workflows or whatever that thing is. And I just feel like that's the the that's why it's not selling. It's very much a partnership, right? And saying, hey, you've got these needs, we've got these solutions together. Not only are we going to solve those needs, we're also going to make sure that there's a way for us to get better from our conversations. And I think that's just a fun way or frame to think about a sales call. Absolutely. How do you compensate the salespeople when they're not on quota? And they're not commissioned. You know, I still haven't um, hit that uh, prop. Like I, I, I talked to Yako about doing that, but I've never not done it. So mm. um, I don't. I've been in scenarios where there wasn't quota, but it was 100% commission. So it kind of self-regulated. Um, if I had to think through that scenario, I think the biggest thing that would need to change is um definitely kind of like peer peer like uh best like leadership like a leaderboard so i think that humans it, it's not like we'll gamify the enterprise i'm not talking <laughs> about, i'm just not literally saying like you know i do a lot of uh training for an iron man so it's like i naturally have that in this app called Strava, right i've got all my friends and the leaderboards there and each route segments there 
So you can kind of, so I just feel like it just, if you add a bit more of that, plus the tool set for the call structure regards to the, the refract.ai of the world, um, allows you to have a different data point to, to look at the call narrative, to even say, okay, compared to my peers that are winning, I'm doing X more than the norm. How do I bring that down? Be more inquisitive, ask more questions, um, you know, ask for these certain points, you know, there's keywords you can set up in the call to listen for, make sure that they're triggered. And I just think it's just uh, requires a bit more management. It starts to look more like customer success, right? Customer success already has that inherent, um, it's more about process and making sure that each stage of the process is followed and less about comping them for an outcome. Customer support would be the same thing. Um, you know, engineering maybe in many ways would be the same way where you're looking at defect rates or you're looking at velocity, uh, which is, is kind of like parts of an overall process. And if those things are good, then we're good. So it's not necessarily about like you hitting quota. It's about, you know, did you ask these four questions on the call and there's automation now to find that out? Did you talk less than, than the, the buyer, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it also means that the organization is responsible for producing pipeline more so in that scenario than, than a seller. I think that the days of, you know, and there's still, you know, outbound BDRs, business development reps, or, you know, whatever you want to call them, MDRs, market development reps. But if you're doing outbound pipeline generation, then there needs to be incentive. There needs to be like, you know, either you get comp per appointment booked or, um, you know, if it's your own pipeline. But yeah, I, I haven't personally gone there yet um, because my salespeople do like making a lot of money and I like making them a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I feel like I do make it so easy for them because we do all the heavy lifting on the front end marketing and our brand recognition. So yeah, there, there I could see a scenario where a batch of new sales hires might be split tested and they're not on quota or commission. And we'll oh, see. Hopefully they're not listening now. <laughs> and it would be in the future, be like maybe in a year or two, but like be a neat, you know, the way I do anything is like, a, you know, you have your control bucket, right. And then you, and you run your, your experiment. So I would, I would literally grab two new salespeople and say, okay, all deals that go to them, it's not quota based. It's not commission. It's just straight up. They're compensated for doing the work and they got to follow this process. And we'd see what the lift difference was between the current set of sales professionals versus them and see what the, the Delta would be. I mean, it'd be crazy if it was higher, right. And their salary was fixed. That would be crazy. My gut tells me it'd probably be a little lower because humans are humans and, you know, and certain salespeople, that's the thing is like, I hire a lot of women, I hire non-traditional salespeople because I don't want, I don't want, uh, you know, my buddy hired a sales guy named Chad, you know, and I just, I apologize for all the Chad's <laughs> listening, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't want a Chad. I don't want, you know, Chad coming in and trying to be Mr. Rico Suave and, and, and just like commission breath at the friggin' yin yang. So, yeah, I haven't done it yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to try in the future. Wow, I would really, uh, really be interested in to, in to see how that goes. In the I mean, I have clients. I have probably a dozen clients that have salespeople that are on salary. Um, they don't have two salespeople on salary. So that's the delta. I think it's just one of those things where, hey, you should do sales. And it's like they never asked about commission. 
but so I'm not sure it could be a repeatable, scalable process yet for them. But I do have a dozen clients that I coach that have a sales guy that's just making like 90, 120 grand a year kind of thing. Do you, do you think, though, that the experienced salespeople would want to go for that way? No, and I'm not, and I don't, I, I'm, I don't hire a lot of experienced sales. I think if, unless you're selling very domain specific stuff, but in the, and in those cases, I would, I would much prefer hiring a support person from, let's say I was selling, you know, medical technology. If I hired somebody from like a Siemens or West, like whatever medical, you know, company out there, uh, like a support person that had domain experience, but no sales experience, I can train for the sales stuff. That's what I've discovered yeah. is I've literally taken people that had the right. So we do use uh, profiling technology to kind of make sure we get the right aptitude, but I can train on the sales skills. But the big question mark, depending on industry is, is, is the domain experience. Cause the last thing a buyer wants to do is get on a call with somebody who's just uneducated about their acronyms, you know, industry, et cetera. So as long as those things were present and, and or you train them for that, um, I, I'm, I don't mind hiring people that are not experienced. Because to me, I like the career path. I like starting off people as SDRs, you know, then moving them up and they earn their way to an AE role. And then eventually maybe becoming VP or senior or move into a product role or a customer success role. I just think it's a fun, it's a fun way to introduce people to the organization. It's really interesting, though, that you say that you you want somebody with domain experience because I I would no, I normally say that domain experience well it's a nice to have I prefer somebody that has sales experience in a similar sales cycle. That well, so all things being equal, I agree with you on that one big time. Yeah, that sales okay. motion if you can match it 100 percent right? because it's just the they've built habits around those activities, and to me, selling is a a byproduct of good habits and activity stacking, you know, the cadence on a day-to-day basis. Okay, great. Dan, uh, I mean, I think we could sit here and talk for another few hours, but uh, time is coming up. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us today. How could people reach out to you and, and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, I've got uh, my emails public on the internet. So Dan at danmartel.com's two L's to Martel. Um, that's my website. I've got the YouTube channel, Instagram for behind the scenes. Uh, I always say that's like the reality that my stories is the reality TV part of my life. Motivation is my main feed, business stuff on LinkedIn. And then Facebook is where I kind of catch all. But uh, I'm very public on my social media channels. And I, and I predominantly share about selling SaaS, customer success, marketing, and then really just everything I've learned about um, developing my my personal, you know, the personal development betterment side of my life. Okay. I'll put the links uh, for your for your YouTube and LinkedIn and stuff uh, in the show notes so people could one-click that. Dan, thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Adam, absolutely my pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io. 